0: the gull circling she makes her way to the base of a dune there she finds wet sand knowing she was far from the seaward side of the beach she digs and finds muddy but fresh water basically she's
1: at the base of this dune and this dune is like this side of the dune is in shade she's just resting her paw sinks into the sand and finds wet sand under the dry sand Mm -hmm.
0: Revived by her drink, she's able to fend off a gannet that had attempted to sneak up on her with some good, solid wax from her rope. The birds disperse, seeing she's no longer an easy target. She
1: finds two birds... Pers- well, we also need to mention specifically that, like, she is, like, desperately digging for this water. Oh, yeah. And just shoves her whole face into it to drink the, like, gritty, mm. sandy water. Yeah. Like, she does not care. Yeah. Yeah,
0: but when you're that thirsty, um, mm-hmm. she finds tubers to eat,
1: fed and water There was just stuff growing on that part of the dune, yeah. and it was just tubers. I don't know what it was, but it's tubers. Hold on, what what tuber plants grow on beaches? I want to know.
0: <laughs> she's able to treat the wound on her head and decides to name herself. To name herself, she's Storm, and the rope is whacker. She wishes she knew her real name though. Content enough for the moment, she settles in to sleep. And that's the end of that chapter, while Izzy is looking up what grows on beaches. I mean, considering she's a mouse, it could just be like a particularly thick plant root. Because we don't really get a good description of what kind of tuber it is. It's um, Inspecting the plant she had pulled from the ground, she noticed that the root was attached to a fat white tuber. Without further hesitation, she began munching upon it. The tuber tasted good. Something like raw turnip. So it could just be like a wild turnip or some kind of just a a particularly thick plant root that a little mouse could eat.
1: Maybe. Something with a rhizome or something. Mm -hmm. Uh... See, the thing is, is like... Most tuberous plants grow in the United States. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. What
0: about carrots, so turnips? It, it, no, turnips and carrots are from the old world, well, aren't they? Ones that grow on beaches. Oh, okay. Specifically. Listen, I can't get over the nutmeg thing. If they can have nutmeg. They can have pretty much any plant they want. There's also the marrow. Marrow weren't really introduced into England until like the, I think it was the 1800s. There's a lot of things that they have here that are from the New World. Just because Brian wants to have the good food there. And speaking of good food. The next chapter starts out with Friar Alder, who is the current cook of Redwall. We meet him as he scorches his paw while adding plum juice to a hazelnut crumble, which... Give it to me! I want it so bad! <laughs> like, you don't even need to ask me the question at the end of the episode. This is what I want. Um, it's so, so good. <laughs> he bemoans the lack of time before the feast. Three days to make pastries, cakes, and other delights. Only three days! Like, sir, did you not know the Jubilee was coming up? Did they not warn you? <laughs> The Otter Twins follow him, echoing his complaints mockingly, only to be soundly thwacked between the ears with a wooden spoon and set up to help Danden and Saxtus. I don't know why, but it always amuses me when, like, someone's in a kitchen and they just get a good smack with a spatula or something. That's the kind of physical uh, slapstick that does amuse me. The older two are being taught to make summer cream pudding by a pretty squirrel named Tree Rose. Which me shaking my fist at the English like that's not fucking pudding, that's bread. Anyway, they're so busy ogling her that they nearly break a bowl while trying to handle, trying to hand it to her. She has to scold the otter twins for eating the blueberries meant for pudding. To which I could hear Izzy in the distance chanting the compet, but no, I was wrong. She doesn't chant. The
1: you compet. were wrong. I was I'm wrong. wrong. And we you know cuz it's just teenagers being goofy about a pretty girl yeah. like that's not necessarily compact that's like hormones they're just being goofy <laughs> not just that but like they don't ever
0: really do this again to tree rose like they're a little odd by her in the moment but later on like they don't they don't exactly ignore her but they don't really seem as overawed by because, her because
1: like she's just she's snooty and bratty and, yeah. and marielle is is cool yeah. and fighty yeah, yeah.
0: Ooh. and i do kind of like it that in this fourth book we finally get like a really more open example of cross species flirting like these are mice who are finding a squirrel beautiful so we're starting to see some of that um some of that uh sh- slow down or not be as prevalent um oh charles just posted a picture of their cat and he's just peeking out of a blanket and it's so cute <laughs> valentine you absolute rotisserie chicken um but that's that's what they call him he's the rotisserie chicken or um rotisserie chicken or um taxidermy anyway that's my tangent <laughs> um they dash off covered cover a young bank vole with blueberry kiss marks before being caught by her mother and cleaned with a washcloth this whole thing is so cute the, the start of the I chapter... did
1: misread blueberry kiss marks as blueberry
0: kissy marks. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I was wrong too. They're blackberries, not blueberries. It's berries. Yeah. They caught they caught a young bankful named Petunia and kissed her cheeks until she was covered in purple otter lip marks. <laughs> <laughs> Tree Rose calls Danden and Saxtus back to attention and when the pudding is ready, asks them to open it for her. Oh, open the oven. Open the oven. They burn their paws and she scolds them for not using oven cloths and gets the pudding in and gets the pudding herself. And it's all right. She's got that sharp kind of snooty behavior that I was just kind of like,
1: she knows what she's doing. And I was just kind of like, maybe, maybe this will go to, no, it doesn't. It goes... She, her character goes where you think it's going to go. She is a brat. Uh-huh.
0: Which, you know what bratty character, I, I mean, we make a note of this later. I'm not going to get onto it now. But yeah, it was just kind of like, I'm not sure how I like this. So anyway, Mother Mellis wanders over to see how the boys are doing. Tree Rose flounces off after a scathing remark and Mellis comforts the boys by asking them to fetch her some cider for her horse chestnuts to roast in. If they do, they can have one each. She commiserates with Sister Sage on how it's not all the boy's fault. True Rose is pretty enough to turn any apprentice's head, and and, and ma'am, and I put it here. Ma'am? It's um, Melis, There's a whole ass thing in the Bible about this. Jesus very much made a point. It is a boy's fault for ogling, like a take your ogling, ogling, ogling. Ugly. Ugly. Like, a take-your-eye-out-if-you-can't-be-respectful kind of point. Jesus literally says, if your right-eye sins by, like, looking lustfully at a woman, take it out. Like, I'm pretty sure he's not being intentionally or, or completely literal here, but, yeah, like... I the mean, Bible no, I think very... Jesus was being literal. Yeah. <laughs> the Bible very much makes a point that if you are looking lustfully at someone, you are the one at fault here. So... Like, on one hand, I appreciate that Malice is not entirely blaming the boys. On the other hand, it's like, Malice, they are going to have to grow up to be respectful. You do need to teach them a little bit of responsibility. But then again, she's also saying it's not... Like, they, they weren't being lustful, they were just distracted, and yeah. They were being goofy. Yes. But again, like, I'm the Christian here, it's my job to point these things out, and Malice, it is very much a thing in the Bible that it is the boys' fault. Because, um, <laughs> like, like, again, like... Tree Rose wasn't
1: trying to seduce them or be sexy. She was just existing and baking, you know? No, I I do think there's something to be said that because of what we learn later on about, like, how she acts. She is aware. That she was doing it a little bit on purpose because she thinks it's, like, she likes the attention. Yeah. But also, I hate teenage girls that are written like that because it's dumb and bad. It's dumb, but I actually have met a few girls who were like that
0: back in the day.
1: I mean, yeah, but it's still, because, like, it's bad. It
0: is. So Sister Sage confesses Brother Hubert had once done much the same to her, staring at her like a hungry owl, according to the teacher. Or their teacher. But But her love of food won out over her love for Hubert, and that's that. Which is a peak ace mood.
1: (laughs) And I was like, food is better than boys, TVH.
0: So much better. Um, (laughs) Unless you have boys who can make good food, that is the best of both worlds. Um, looking at you, Joseph. Even though you don't listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> just gonna just link Joseph this specific. Episode. Yeah, just just Joseph. I'm I'm going to get those cupcakes someday. I will eat one of those cupcakes. We are going to come get them from yes. you. I don't care. Aren't you going to Canada? I'm I'm going to the complete opposite side of Canada.
1: It's no go visit Joseph in, Ke- in in Quebec. That's a three day drive. Go visit Joseph in Quebec. I can't.
0: I don't have the money. Me and we have already got hotels booked in Vancouver. Give me a break. Um, in the cellars the cheerful gabe quill is happy to give the boys and his nephew a little tour as he takes them to the cider he pauses to pour them an odd dandelion drink which almost seems to have somehow become carbonated the boys get the cooking cider after enjoying the fizzy drink greatly
1: to which we both got to have a fun tangent time about how carbonation works in the comments so um the first like
0: industrial-esque levels like hang on let me find the description of this at first because i want to read the way it's described uh he goes "Uh, this one here you must try this rascal funniest drink i ever did make it was meant to be buttercup and honey cordial but oh i put dandelion why did put butter anyway it was supposed to be buttercup and honey cordial but then i made it too sweet so I takes a herb here and a plant there and chucks them in to bitter it a touch. Mercy me, it didn't go any less sweet, no sir, it started a fizzlin' and a bubblin'. Little uns do love it dearly. Here, try some to which it's described as the bright yellow cordial popped, fizzed, and gurgled as if it were alive. So that sounds like carbonation to me. So when I looked online, um the 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 modern method of carbonation air quotes modern was discovered in 1767 whereas the first mass-produced company like the corporate or or, or industrial level of carbonization station started to begin in 1783. Which, um, you know, like, we know that there are natural ways to create something like carbonation. Look at uh, ciders or champagnes, you know, that naturally produce bubbles.
1: And Um, when you make uh, a fermentation, uh, like, even kombucha is, like, mildly carbonated um, just because of the... Listen, I don't like kombucha. It tastes bad. But... Like, you get carbonation from the fermentation of the yeast and the, like, the yeast with the fruits. Mm -hmm. It happens because the yeast, as it's breaking down the sugars, is releasing carbon into the sealed container the liquid is Mm -hmm. in. That's why. So, you know, it carbonates. That's why you gotta be careful when you're brewing stuff, kids. Make sure
0: to give it room for the gases to expand or you're gonna have explosions. You're gonna have big messes. I just love, like, people who brew their own stuff at home. Like, I've seen pictures of people. They'll just put, like, gloves on the jar so that when it's starting to ferment, like, the gloves will just stand up like, hello! (laughs) They just inflate. Uh
1: Above. That's when you get those special, like, caps that have the, like, the the gas release, like, uh bubble chamber. Uh Uh-huh. So... I don't know what they're called, I don't ferment things.
0: So above, poor Alder is having a proper fit, and I really sympathize with Alder here. The moles have all decided to make the biggest raspberry cream pudding ever seen in Mossflower, and are making a right mess in the kitchen. Flour, honey, raspberries, it's a huge mess. One mole babe falls into a honey into a pot of honey, and after being fished out is left to lick himself clean. Father Alder faints, and the moles move him to a safe spot out of the way. Which, you know what, if he I. He faints <laughs> right into the cream. Which, you know what, if I only had three days to prepare the kind of feast that the Redwallers expect, and then the moles came in and just mucked everything up, I'd have a fit too! I'm on the brother's side. <laughs> it's a very, very cute scene, but just. Her eye, don't you fret thy whiskers, or Alder. Yur, Borgo, triple some of thy raspberries in yur, and mind that garlic, don't go near him.
1: Garlic, garlic. That's because there's a mole. It wasn't mentioned before, but there is a mole who just fucking eats raw wild garlic, Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> and he has to wear like he, he wears a pin on his nose. He wears he wears he wears a pin on his he nose smell. so he doesn't smell it because he doesn't like how it smells, but he loves how it tastes. It's like my guy, sir so concerned about these moles um the reason that we learn about this guy is because Simeon smells it when they're <laughs> eating in like the first like the the first a bit when they're eating in the great hall and fucking it's just like oh somebody's eating wild garlic and we cut to this mole with a fucking clothespin on his nose yeah
0: <laughs> Albert bernard and Simeon observe the chaos in the kitchen kitchens Simeon calls Tree Rose to fetch her pudding out of the ovens. He can smell it just beginning to burn. The older man thinks she's a bit too efficient and snippy for her own good, so this may humble her a bit without ruining an excellent summer cream pudding. When she gets to the oven, the pudding has already been rescued by a dashing squirrel named Ruf Rush. To which he demanded I do this. You gotta this. do it.
1: You gotta do it. Lead away from the mic first. Rufio. There you go. I know that's more the the villain way of saying it, but he's
0: not an admirer. Sorry, (laughs) no explanation. We are not. We are
1: not giving any explanation. Those who know know. (laughs) If you know, you know. And if Dante Brasco ever listens to our podcast, hi, that would be wild. Um, We love you, Dante.
0: (laughs) We do. He's not an admirer of Tree Rose, but she seems to be one of his. Mother Mellis calls the demons to bed and the appet decides it's time he goes too. Simeon plans one more round of the grounds to make sure all the gates are secured and locked, to which thank you! Finally! Someone is checking on these dang gates!
1: These stupid wicker gate! God! Jesus! <laughs> Friggin! Thank you, Simeon! You four bucks. Jesus! <laughs> I love how we're just like the gates! Yes! <laughs> finally! It's been three books, and everybody who forgets these gates fucking exist. <laughs> Gabul's expected
0: counter with Saltar is indeed set in motion. By Gabul's ship, the Green Fang, encountering Saltar's, it's being captained by another rat, yada yada yada, um, the sea rat turns his boat towards Terramort, all too eager to avenge his slain brother. He plans to sneak into the cove and kill any who resist. The rumor that a mousemaid almost took down Gabool boosts his confidence and his anger. The next day, he will challenge Gabool, and he is no mousemaid. In the banquet hall of the fort, Gabool is watching three dormice slave clean the bell. He scroll down. He threatens them with lashings if they get so much as a paw mark on the pristine metal. When the three poor tired mice bandage their paws with rags of their clothing, a rat with an eye patch scurries up to report Saltar's ship has been spotted, and will soon arrive around dawn. Pleased, Gabul asks if the traps are ready, to which small tangent, I'm glad the three here didn't get whipped. Like like they're in a bad spot, but at least they aren't getting whipped. <sighs> Like, like, a yeah. bull actually gives them a useful little bit of advice that helps them avoid getting punished, which is an odd little bit of mercy
1: from him. But it's a, a, one I'm glad to see. But it's also, like, humiliating them because they have, he's like, well, rip up your shirts and wrap your paws with them. And yeah. It, literally only have the shirts on their backs and now they don't even have those. Right. So it's, it's, it's
0: an, it's a devious little thing that he's done. He's, he's, one on one hand... They're not going to get whipped. On the other, they've lost a little more of their dignity. Um, yep. He praises the rat, Grey Patch, and offers some of his food and wine to him, promising him the captain's role if it all goes well. And You put a note in here about sweetmeats.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I read this book when I was younger, but I didn't remember this bit. And so I didn't really learn until I was 17 that sweet meats meant preserved fruit and kind
0: of candied fruits in general it's a kind of a general term
1: yeah it's it's really it's a weird term Uh, it can mean a few different things for the longest time i thought well for the longest time i thought it just meant sweetened meat yeah and that is not what it is at
0: all it's kind of for desserts in general as well because i think i remember reading somewhere that it can also refer to like um like specific types of breads That are, like, dessert breads and things like that.
1: Yeah, which is weird. It's
0: Britain, okay? I know it's, like, a
1: really old... And it's also, like, a really old term that's left over from, like...
0: Medieval. Some
1: other, like, language shit, because English is fucking weird.
0: Listen, this poor language has been... It's not its fault, okay?
1: I mean, it's kind of its fault. (laughs) Mostly just because languages are made up by the people who use them, and so you know... Yeah. It just kept getting uh, used and edited and altered, and now it's this. Now just it's what we use today, the, and we're just like, what the fuck does this mean? Where did this the, come from? What the, the fuck? The bastard
0: child of a little bit of Latin, a little bit of Norman French, a little bit of German, a little bit of whatever the hell they were speaking on England before the Romans came in and e- effed everything
1: up. <laughs> English Gaelic. English Gaelic. Um, Which is a dead language. It, it does not exist. Okay. So... He praises
0: the rat to Grey Patch offers some of his food, promising Captain's roll. He calls out to the slaves, asking if they'd like fish to eat. They say they do, and he jokes that if they don't polish harder, the fishes will be eating them. They take the joke seriously and polish harder. The two go to watch the Dark Queen come into the harbor. Grey Patch thinks over how Gabool is becoming drunk on power. Killing captains on a whim is a bad sign, and he's known Gabool long enough to see the way things are going. While they eat and laugh, he begins to plan.
1: Gray patch is smart. It's
0: very smart. And to the next chapter. The next day, Storm wakes up to find herself slowly being surrounded by toads. They want the water she's discovered. She plays at being asleep until the last moment, springing into action and wallops around with Gullwacker. A particularly large toad comes forward, declaring this is their land and their water. And if she doesn't wish to die, she needs to move on.
1: And, like, so I know that the intention here is, like, you can't own water, so this is bad. But also, like, this is their land, and they're giving her a choice. Yeah. If they really, really were like, we want this water... This is our water. They would have just fucking killed her. Pretty much. But they're like, no, we're giving you a choice. Like, you can move on on your own or face the consequences of your fucking actions. And but Brian is, of course, playing into the colonizer thing. Like, no, I found it. Therefore, it's mine. Right.
0: Because Storm predictably chooses to fight instead, declaring this little bit of land is hers. And it's it's not good. Like, everything with the toads no. in this book, it's like... This is their, it is their land. This is their home. This is what they live on. And they're treating them like, well, you
1: don't deserve this land. We deserve it because we're better than you. It's like. We found it. It's ours now. This is my. She even says, well, this is my water and my bit of land because I'm here and I refuse to move. And it's like, ma'am, that's not how that works. Um, Pretty much. Um. Like. Yeah. At least in in this context, mm-hmm. I'm going to say if a, 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 in modern times, if a homeless person squats in a building and is like, this is where I'm living and that building is fucking abandoned. Yeah. A corporation cannot just come in and be like, no, this is actually ours. Like, fuck you. Yeah. Um, but like the way that the toads speak, and this has been in every single book that an amphibian has fucking shown up in. They're like, the way they speak and the way that Storm talks about how they speak in, in clicks and grocs mm-hmm. It smacks of racism. There are so many languages that utilize, like, clicking and other mouth sounds. Mm-hmm. And it's... We, we have to note that they are indigenous uh, languages or African languages. Mm-hmm. Although the name you of know,
0: the, lead toy, the lead toad, Oikamon, that's almost like an Asian-esque sounding name.
1: You also kept, uh, 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 misspelling it as Oyakamon. I did? Oy- it sounds like a Digimon. It does.
0: Oyakamon. Yeah, I was. Sorry. It does sound like a Digimon, though. Oyakamon, the
1: large toad. I think that's why you kept doing it. I think it. so. Um,
0: Oyakamon, the large toad, signals for his spiders to advance upon her with their tridents. She makes a good show of it, fighting fiercely with Golwacker until one toad scores a stab on her paw. They frog pile her using the superior numbers to hold her down. Storm was only saved by the sudden arrival of three hares.
1: And <sighs> let me, let me just, I'm going to, I'm going to read the bit. Let me get to it. Okay. Uh, Cause it's bad. Mm-hmm. So suddenly a cry rang from the dune tops and the, the eulalia cry i'm not gonna do yeah. it there was a croak of alarm from the attackers followed by the pounding of swift paws And the next moment toads were flying through the air like birds as three hares attacked with lance butts teeth bared and eyes wide the three creature three tall creatures moved with practiced ease of natural fighters their long ears streaming behind them as they skillfully kicked with big supple hind legs each a sandy colored seasoned warrior brooking no nonsense from their flabby adversaries. Mm. I do not like how the hairs are, uh, how the way the hairs are described is juxtaposed with the frogs being flabby. Mm. Don't like that at all because I, for those of you who do not know, am a fat person and fat is frequently in fiction, you know, associated with greed Mm -hmm. and being bad and the, the, opulent excess of greedy individuals and i I hate it i don't like it it's bad it's not good i don't like it and again oh excuse me again it is also you know leaning into like racism Mm -hmm. very much so the way the hairs are described in such like loving detail and up the toads are fat and stupid
0: and bullies and yeah They make short, non-lethal work of the toads, and were introduced to the trio. Colonel Clary, family name of Metal Clary. Clary. Meet Metal Clary. There's Young Brigadier Time. And finally, Honorable Rosemary, their ward. Hon Rosemary to you. Storm introduces herself and her weapon. Oikemon is regrouping, and he threatens the four that he'll collect as many toads as there is sand. This makes Han Rosemary give out a loud whooping laugh, to which all I can hear is like the whoo, <laughs> like the eighties <80s> anime
1: villainess <laughs> slash dating sim villainess laugh. Um, Would you like to know what Meadow Clary is? Yes! Salvia pretensis, otherwise known as the Meadow Clary or Meadow Sage, okay. it is native to Europe, Western Asia, and Northern Africa. Say, it is say, a I'm purpley try. flowering perennial. Ooh. Okay. It's spelled Meadow, like the word Space Clary. It is was shifted to be a name for this book because I tried just searching it the way that it's spelled. Because I don't know if you all have noticed in this book in particular and in a few others, the hairs tend to be named after um spices. And herbs, yeah. Spices and herbs, like Basil. Basil. Oh. I think some of the only ones were like um buckstar mm. and the ones from the yeah we'll see more later from from Redwall the one not Redwall the ones from Mossflower specifically were not named after uh, uh herbs and spices yeah. but so there we've got uh rosemary and thyme and meadow clary there's
0: parsley and sage oh. they're on their own orders no toad will tell them what to do he responds with another threat move on don't come back or he'll kill them Clary steps forward and shows his prowess with the lance, disarming a toad with an easy flick. He explains who they are. The Long Patrol, under orders of Lord Ronblade of Salamandestron, they will march where they like, when they like, and if Oikamon dares stop them, death will visit this place. To which, again, it's. This is another big reason why I dislike the hares. They're the embodiment of that empire-like attitude of, I am superior, I have authority anywhere I go, and you will respect me because no place is really yours.
1: Everywhere is mine to control. We came here, therefore it is ours mm-hmm. now. It's the, like, as individuals, the hares can be very funny and likeable, yeah. right? like, I, I like the as, one who's introduced as,
0: later. I like him a little more,
1: you know. Because he's not a military exactly. man. Exactly. Uh, the ones who tend to be, you know, just one-off goofballs and aren't, you know, militia, uh, tend to be the ones that uh, we like more. But, like, the ones that we normally get represent, honestly, to me, the worst of English white military men yeah. and, like, their culture. Like, that old, like, uh, Winston Churchill, like, carry-on kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's very bad. It's because they're... A uh, fun fact about Winston Churchill: that man was aggressively racist. Mm-hmm. He destroyed, like, whole like, like towns of people in India, and like the the apparently like the the person in charge of like Indian affairs likened his methods to Hitler's. Yeah, yeah. Like Winston Churchill was not a good dude. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, but, like, World War II and her da 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 It's like, yeah, that doesn't make him a good person. No. So
0: So Oikamon calls off his warriors sullenly.
1: Before they move
0: on, the Harris inspect Storm's injured paw. Hon Rosie patches her up quite cheerfully to which we
1: both made little notes. Um, Why is there so much horse terminology? <laughs> yeah. They call it, like, her hoof and it's- a fetlock. And I'm like, what? What? Where are the horses? We what? And then I also... This is even before we get a horse. Yeah.
0: And then... Technically. And then there's the line, um, there. I bet you could trip a mouse mazurka with that little lot on, to which I went, what the heck is a mazurka? One Google later. Oh, it's a Polish folk dance. It became popular in the ballrooms around Europe in the 19th century. Which is it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of neat. Actually, I learned a cool a new thing today. Where did the hares learn a mazurka? mazurka? Mazurka. Implying the existence of Poland in this universe. Um,
1: <laughs> or the hares are or Polish. Hares Who Polish? knows? I don't think they're no. Polish. Um, because they, they would be they, they would be written very differently if they were Polish. Mm-hmm. Uh, just based on, you know, Brian, yeah. the way people have treated Polish people.
0: <sighs> anyway.
1: Mostly in America, yeah. though.
0: Um. Clary makes the call to march towards the woodland to visit Old Peckatug. Time happily agrees, and they move out. Storm takes a bit to settle into the Hare's blasé way of talking, but it eventually clicks with her.
1: They treat every like everything they say is like a good observation, but they talk about it so offhandedly. Mm-hmm. It's very the way the Hares talk is always very funny because they don't take anything seriously, but in reality, they are. Yeah.
0: They're, they are observing, and then they hide their observation by making light of it. Yeah. And By noon, they reach high sand dunes overlooking a woodland fringe. They slide down to... We say woodland. It is a pine forest. Yes. Yeah. They slide down to an old hornbeam tree while Clary warns them to hold still. Packetug is close. His prediction is true as a dart buries itself into the wood near his ear. He's challenged for trespassing and he explains who they are. Packatug demands a password and Clary gives it. Packatug, Tree Fleet, we bring you good things to eat. Packatug is revealed to be an eccentric fat old squirrel. He remembers nothing, oh, he resembles nothing more than a moving bush with leafy twigs all over his body.
1: Specifically, a leafy, bu- a moving bush with eyes. Yes. Clary, like, he is, he is, he is that, like, eccentric old military dude who's just, like, super paranoid and is constantly just in a ghillie suit. This guy
0: would be a doomsday prepper. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we can't make jokes about that because those people are exceedingly dangerous. Oh.
0: Clary reveals the food they brought for him and Packatug nearly claws it out of the sack. He's told to take them to his, he's... Yeah, told to take them to his hideaway so they can eat comfortably. And so he leads them there. Clary whispers to Storm that Packatug is a very odd fellow. Paranoid, but mostly harmless if you follow his rules and offer food. If he's in a good enough mood, he might just lead Storm to Redwall. And, like, he's such an odd character. It's like, I'm not sure how to feel about them. He's eccentric. Like, Like, you get the trope of, like, the pleasant eccentric or the the wild woodsman who's shunned society and prefers to live alone. Who's just a little, uh, how, how they would put it in the old days touched in the head.
1: And he's got war vet with PTSD vibes. And I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it. Like
0: I have seen this trope done well, where the character is portrayed that like, this is the character coping and the people around them are like, we're not going to shame them for living this life. We're just going to help them how we can. But in this book, it's definitely played up as more of, like, a thing to be amused by and a thing to judge him by later.
1: Yeah, and it's just mm, bad.
0: Brian, you were part of the- you were a sailor! Maybe that's part of what he's pulling on. Maybe he knew someone like this. That's Um, where he's getting all the fucking naval terminology. Holy shit. He comes back, offering them tea. The hares bring out the food, and Storm and
1: Pakatug fight over the goodies
0: much to the hair we have to remember
1: storm has not eaten at all except for some tubers from the ground they ask where which is all fucking starch yeah so like she's just like fruit bread um things that aren't just starches and sugars holy shit
0: they ask where she's from and she admits her amnesia how she'd picked her name having been blown in by a storm Hackatug almost seems sympathetic until Clary tries to pawn Storm off on him to lead her to Redwall. He's sharp enough and calls Clary out on his scheme. And I do like that even if he's like the odd eccentric, he's still shown to be intelligent. He's ready
1: to reject- He the does treat Storm badly. Huh? Yeah,
0: he does. He's ready to reject the job. Storm is offended that the hares think her so weak. But they explain they only want to get her back to her own kind, which is like Brian. What the hell? Um,
1: don't you know? Obviously, all mice are from Redwall, don't you? Right? Know? Don't. I'm sorry. How you? Don't, don't you ch- know?
0: Don't Chuck no. Don't you ch- know? <laughs> oh golly, yeah. Don't you know? Um. First. Don't you know all mice are from Redwall? Yeah. Anyway, God, fucking. Jesus. Hurt and offended now, she heads out, finally hitting Packatug's sympathy. He agrees to take her with conditions. <laughs> you type out Packatug's Packalug. Oh, pack a <laughs> first, <he gets, laughs> first he gets all the hare's rations. Second, Storm must go blindfolded to the abbey. He doesn't want anyone finding his home. Third, he doesn't leave until next morning. Storm and the Hares agree to all three, and with this, they all settle down to sleep for the night which is the end of
1: that chapter. Yeah. I don't like Packalog. a Pack-a-tug. Packatug. I don't like Packatug. Yeah. I don't like him. I don't like,
0: like I feel like if Brian had written him just slightly differently, he would have been a more enjoyable character. Yeah. Um under an old oak in the abbey grounds, Danden is composing music and entertaining several other abbey folk, mainly moles. They ask him to sing the song he composed about Gonf, where he'd stolen a cake from Abbas Germain,
1: um, which is on page 57. Uh, I did try, like, last night internally to come up with tunes for these, and I just could <laughs> that's not. That's okay. They're very simple though. Yeah. They are very simple so like singing them or saying them they do have like a cadence. Yeah.
0: There, there's one there's uh, one later that I swear reading it I could hear I could hear what it was supposed to be. It was definitely based on something.
1: Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so the song
0: that he says now or sings now
1: It happened in the springing time when all the leaves were green and once again Abbas Germain, a, a baking cakes had been she stirred them good and mixed them fine with honey nuts and flour then put them out to cool a while until the tea time hour but then along came bold sir gonf his eyes a twinkling bright a cake he'd set his heart upon for supper time that night he took the greatest cake of all from off the window ledge and hid it in a secret place close by the forest edge the abbess came to check her cakes about the mid tide and found the mouse-, mouse thief with a bow and arrows at his side "'Why stand you there, O Gump?' said she, with bow and arrows armed. "'My good abbess,' the thief replied, "'you must not be alarmed. "'I saw an eagle steal your cake. He swooped, then flew away. "'So I stand guard upon your cakes, lest he returns to-day.' "'The abbess chose another cake, which to Sir Gumpf she gave. "'Take this reward, young mouse,' she said, "'because you were so brave, and when upon each baking day my lovely cakes I make, I'll save a special one for you, for your kind action's sake. <laughs> and it's like, I absolutely would have fucking seen through Gaunt's bullshit. But she's playing along, yeah. But, like, we we know this,
0: but like, Danden doesn't. Yeah, and Danden has a great rollicking laugh over it. The moles roll about in glee at the mischievous song. Saxtus calls on William, a young mole well known for singing voice, to give them a song in trade. And can I do this one? Yeah, go for it. I love the woodland stew, I do. I do like my tart. And good October ale that foams is dear unto my art. Of raspberry cream I do doth dream. It make my eyes to shine. Tis a fact that I likes anything, when I sits down to dine. Oh mole, mole, down the ole. Don't you meet nine on mine. Else I won't get a bite to eight, when I sits down to dine. The last one ends in on a long note.
1: <laughs> it's so cute, I love it. And he's got apparently like William just has this like deep, rusty bass uh-huh. voice. But he's like tiny. And I did that in a completely wrong tone. But I'm a I can't do baritone, okay? <laughs> or bass. I, I also can't do bass. Um, I was I'm an alto. I don't sing any lower than I that. I
0: started a soprano, quit singing in choir, and I think I've dropped to an alto since I haven't been tra- I hadn't trained in
1: years. Um, Probably I can do low end soprano, but I can't. Do yeah, high-end. I definitely
0: can't hit notes I could in high school anymore. But that's okay. I don't. <laughs> I sing. I sing for fun, not to show off. Um, William then challenges Saxtus to sing. He. Oh, sorry. Small quick tangent. I just remembered Saxtus's name bugs me because Saxtus is a butchering of the Roman name Sextus, which means the sixth born or the sixth. And I know why Brian didn't put it as sextus because Brian was scared of having a character with the word sex in their name so no he became Saxtus instead and now whenever I write this name I always think of poor Saxtus as being a saxophone (laughs) Brian you coward just use the Roman name anyway He probably just didn't want to. He didn't want to. He shyly denies until Danden kindly suggests he recite a poem instead. Sorry. (laughs) I just went off there. Um, He recites one he found a while back. He doesn't know the meaning, but he likes the words. To which, if you would like to, you can read this one.
1: Yes. (laughs) The wind's icy breath o'er the land of death tells a tale of yet to come. Cross the heaving waves which mark ships' graves lies an island known to some, where seas pound loud and rocks stand proud, and blood flows free as water, to the far northwest which knows no rest. Came a father and his daughter, the mind was numb and the heart struck dumb when the night seas took the child, hurled by her, f- blah blah blah. hurled to her fate by a son of Hellgate, the dark one called the Wild. You whom they seek. Though you do not speak, the legend is yet to be born. One day you will sing over stones that are red in the misty summer dawn. Also,
0: small side tangent. In this book, we haven't heard the Dark Forest, but they keep mentioning Hellgate, which I find interesting. Um, and like
1: the, the fucking... Dark one. some The dark mm-hmm. one... Because they talk about, like, the dark ones' whiskers or which, whatever. Which, I mean,
0: it would make sense that, so like, mariners wouldn't talk about a dark forest, but they would talk about a hell gate. Because, like, they, they, you would have... It's like Davy Jones' yeah, locker. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the kids are stunned into silence by the gloomy prophecy, though they don't know that's what it is, until Tree Rose leaves in a snit, disliking the poem's dreary words. She scurries away oh, she up a tree. She's a brat about yeah. this. And Danden does his best to cheer his friends up with claps and praise, to which... I also really, I enjoy this. Like this is a good introduction to, this isn't even part of the riddle quest yet. This is a very efficient way to introduce a prophecy into the story. This is Martin and the will of Redwall working in a very interesting way. Like this is a very Christian kind of a thing where it's like you have a prophecy, but sometimes you don't always realize it's a prophecy until things happen. Yeah. Like, Saxtus Sext- doesn't know what he has read is a prophecy. He just thinks it's a very odd, sad poem. But it is a prophecy. We, the reader, know it's a prophecy. We know who it's talking about. We know it's talking about Mariel and the Bell.
1: Well, we know it's talking about Storm oh, Gullwacker. Gawack- we don't know that her name yeah. is Mariel. Spoilers! Yet, even um, though that's the title of the book, yeah. so we can assume. Um, I want to know who wrote all of these down. I want to know who was the oracle that gave them all these fucking prophecies? And I want to know, like, is it the same oracle who carved the destiny of the badgers into the walls of Salamandistron? Who the fuck in the past could see the future? I mean, badgers? It probably was a badger.
0: Let's be honest here. It's always the badgers.
1: It's always the badgers. Yeah, it's just like, is it? I want to know. I want to know wanna more. I want to know. Gimme. Can you show Can you show me? <laughs> i want to know about these fucking prophecies
0: brian <laughs> the others join in until mother Mellis interrupts to call them to lunch while they wash paws dandon asks where saxtus had found the poem in the ga- the poem in the gatehouse he explains in some dusty old scroll for some reason it seems burned into his memory to which i go martin <laughs> I'm just, like, absolutely. Uh, Simeon arrives, saying he can somewhat understand. He liked the sound of the poem, too, and thinks thinks someday Saxtus will be grateful for knowing it. He offers some advice to Danden, too. Save some lunch for old ones like him who can't move as fast. (laughs) Danden winks at Saxtus, and they both offer their hands to Simeon, offering to guide him for lunch. Aware of the wink, he teases the boys. Are they like those naughty otter twins who once made... Much the same offer, then abandoned him in the gatehouse to go scoff all the good food themselves? They trade another wink. He's holding their paws far too firmly for them to pull that trick off.
1: How did he know they winked? I've, I'm guessing it's a... You can't hear somebody wink! I'm guessing... It's not like a cartoon. It's not like Spongebob where whenever they wink it makes that little bloop noise. It's probably like him
0: guessing and just having fun and or like... You know, like, sometimes when people wink, they'll bob their head, or, like, maybe the mischievous, like, this the two of them being mischievous, and he knows how the kids are like, or the Dibbens are like, so he's just having fun with them. So, I think that's more like him just having fun and making a good, educated guess.
1: Maybe. Yeah. I'm suspicious. suspicious. Suspicious! Jumping over back to Terramort. S- Simeon is son! S- Simeon. I'm going to stop now. That's outdated now. That's an outdated I'm on meme. Tumblr. No meme is outdated. That's fair. I did come back to Tumblr. Yeah, I don't know if I I've seen. seen. I have seen. I've reblogged stuff from you. <laughs> like, for those who don't... I haven't actually checked Tumblr at for all. For those today. who don't know... If you want to follow me on Tumblr, uh, it's uh, lotsofsquirrels.tumblr.com. Yeah. And I'm kitsy in a box
0: on Tumblr as well. Um, the nice thing about Tumblr is we enjoy memes. We enjoy memes like a fine wine or a nice aged cheddar cheese. Uh, We don't get rid of memes. A meme will revive (laughs) itself. I've seen memes reviving themselves from 2011. I have seen posts from 2009 making the rounds again. It's like, ah, the old crowd is coming back, (laughs) you know. It's not like (laughs) the old scrolls. The ancient,
1: (laughs) the sacred texts. (laughs) (laughs) We're uncovering the dead sea scrolls Sea scrolls. I like your shoelaces. What? I shut the fuck up. <laughs> but thanks, I got them from the president. No, you stole them. Come on, get it right. Um. Fuck you. I, don't I don't care. That was dumb when it was made up, and it's still dumb. Oh my god, the new Blaze thing is so
0: fucking I love funny. it. I have
1: seen so many good advertisements thanks to that. Like one, I've seen so many good posts, I would I not know. have otherwise seen. One person was like,
0: "Hello, here's and my I am, cat." I am actually
1: day. i'm I'm going to do a Blaze post to advertise commissions. At Beautiful. Some Pro- point.
0: I probably will too. I might even do one for the podcast.
1: But um, let's get back to. it. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely. I have to make podcast tumblers, and I'm gonna okay. be doing that. Do you want control of the Abbey Archives? Po- actually, wait, we can. Yeah, both we can control. both control. I can give you, you access. Can, yes. That's a thing I can do you on can, Tumblr. Yes. Um. Okay, that's not a thing you can do on nope. Twitter. This is a thing you can do on yep. Tumblr, though. So God,
0: real justice for Sonic flashbacks. Click um, off. <laughs> Saltar and his crew arrive in the cove, dropping anchor and making their way into the shallows. They're quick to in- they're quickly intercepted and told Gabool wants him up in the fort. And before he can even think of retreat, his ship is taken by Graypatch and five other rats to have a sail around the bay. Once in the fort, the crew is welcomed with a feast by Gabool. He calls Saltar to sit by him. The rat is not relaxing one inch, neither eating nor drinking, though his crew does so with a will. Gabul brings up Saltar's slain brother. Neither breaks a neutral expression or tone as Gabul
1: explains why he had to kill Bloodrig. We need to we need to specifically say that Gabool is supposedly unarmed yes, right totally. now. Yes, totally. Um, you'd
0: think they would know about the sword he hides under the table by now, though, with as often as he's used it.
1: (laughs) I mean, uh, at this point, we don't think he's used it at
0: all. uh, Oh, we do learn later that, okay, yeah. We learn later that he's used it at least once, but I think, um, Saltar wasn't there for that encounter. Yeah, Saltar wasn't there because he would have known what had happened, yeah. Yeah, he was not there. Saltar openly challenges Gabul, who still plays it calm and innocent. Until Saltar brings up his defeat by the hands of a mousemaid, which sends Gabool into a rage, the fight is vicious and fast. Gabool starts to lead Saltar on, giving the challenging sea a boost in confidence as his opponents seemingly fear. Oh, at his opponents' seeming fear and desperation, he mocks Gabool as they go. Blinded by Gabool's seeming weakness and confusion, he's turned around just to where Gabool wants him. With the thrust of a torch, he sends Saltar onto the blade hidden by the wall hanging. Hopping onto the table, he declares his kingship once more, demanding those around him to cheer his name. They do. And here's another good difference between him and Clooney Uh, Clooney never had to declare who or what he was, or if he did, he had someone else do it for him. Like he would have Red Claw. Was it Red Claw or Red Tooth?
1: I don't remember. You expect me to remember? I don't remember. He was a
0: bitch. He had his second-in-command do it for him because he was confident enough in who he was. He was completely and utterly confident. But Gabool is a petty tyrant. He needs the attention. He demands the respect of others. But he doesn't have the same respect Clooney did, only fear and begrudging obedience. Clooney commanded respect. His people did respect him. Like Yeah, they would grumble sometimes, but other times they'd be like, wow, this guy's awesome.
1: Gabool no one likes Every him. single one of yeah, every single one of Gabool's men are also his enemy and they don't respect also they don't respect a leader who tricks his way into a win one on one. Granted that's just how the pirates be and they're all like that, but it's also like mm, But also, did you really win? Exactly. He's dead, but also, mm, did you really yeah. win?
0: The cheers are cut off by a half-drowned rat stumbling into the hall to report Greypatch's theft of the Dark Queen, and why he'd done it. The rat tells Gabool how Greypatch had called him too wild and treacherous, and left to find a harbor safe from him. He's left angry and disappointed in the betrayal, planning out how to go after the fleeing ship. And... Like, this is when you really kind of start to notice Gabool is getting detached from reality. He's so used to being Trixie, using treachery, that he's twisted his own mind into knots. So, like, the one rat that he did kind of consider trustworthy no longer trusts him. And now he's like, well, you've betrayed me. I'm so disappointed. What do I do about this? You know, yada, yada. And, like, this is him really starting to detach from reality. Tablet, stop being a little pin in the ass. It's um, doing the black flicky thing because the
1: cords all bunged around. Um, yeah.
0: Kit also could not remember
1: how to spell knots as in K N O T. I was tired. Yeah. Like everyone was like, is it is it
0: knots with a K or knots without?
1: Yeah. And I responded with not nautical knots. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> I do it again later. <laughs> You do. Um,
0: of his fleet, only three are at the island and all are unseaworthy. The other
1: four are out to sea and won't be back until the next full moon. He's. We don't get a specific time frame of when the next full moon is. It's just there's they're not going to be back. Right. And you assume for like at least a month, but also it's not actually at
0: least exactly. a month. Um, he says as soon as they are, they will be sent back out again. Whoever catches and kills Gray Patch will be his second in command. The other three boats are to be repaired and stocked with house slaves to work the oars and ordered to be ready to leave by two days time. That's the end of that chapter. I'm just switching to the right page. Here we go. We find storm quite tired of being dragged through Mossflower blind. She's been poked, bumped and generally harassed by the forest. She can't see. So when lunch comes around, she takes her blindfold off to eat. It irks Packatug, but she counters that she won't eat blind. She sees the hare has left her a gift, a medallion around her neck with a badger head and a mountain carved on it. And I pointed out that in my copy of the book, the the medallion is shown with a hare's head instead. And I said,
1: that's interesting. It's also a hare's head in yeah. mine.
0: And I said, that's interesting. Like, maybe this is a remnant from an earlier draft where it was a hare instead of a badger. Um, or the
1: artist misread yeah. it.
0: Also, I also want to say the chapter art for this book has been fantastic so far. Um, absolutely yeah. great. Uh, again, if the artist ever listens to it, uh, very, very good. I'm enjoying it very much. Um, the artist's name is Gary, Gary Chalk. Gary, you know how to draw a landscape. Just um, especially in a small amount, a small amount of space. Uh, yeah. When she asks what's for eating, Packatug smugly tells her what he's eating. Oak cakes and some kind of drink. But he made no bargain to feed as well as guide her. Which is kind of like, all of a sudden he's an ass? Like... I mean, he was kind of an ass to start Yeah, with. but like he's shown to be somewhat sympathetic towards her. Then all of a sudden all that sympathy is gone. And this man sure isn't a good Samaritan. Like, no wonder he can't live in a red wall. They'd toss him right out on his bushy tail in a minute. And... I do kind of like seeing that here is a creature who ostensibly should be a good guy. Like, you know, all three of the books we've seen so far, except for one of like the Lagalot, sorry, the, the Guosim, um, what was his name, Vich with the Sim. Like everyone else we've seen has been relatively a good creature. But here is one of the air quotes, good creatures, who is ostensibly acting as snellfish and as much of a jerk as any air quotes vermin so it's it's interesting to see brian starting to introduce characters like this who we would have thought previously like he would still be a good guy no matter what but no he is actually being quite an ass um and speaking of she rightfully calls him a greedy branch-bound old miser annoyed with her back talk he tells her to blindfold herself when she refuses he tries to dart her but she uses gullwacker to knock the blowpipe from his mouth and sting his nose. She tells him to stay where, she, to stay still while she eats, and he complains as he applies a leaf poultice to his stinging nose. Having split the provisions in half, she sends pack tug on his way, and after a leisurely lunch, takes off on her own to Redwall. She tosses gullwacker in the air, trusting to luck. Follows where the nodded more like right- Martin. <laughs> follows where the knotted end points. She marches on, keeping the sun to her back. Come nightfall, though, she becomes completely lost and dispirited. A campfire catches her eye. She finds the fire tended to by a funny gesture of a hare singing an odd little ditty. To which I put, God damn it, this book is going to be hair heavy, isn't it? It is such a strong start, too, and the minute the hare's arrived. <sighs> <laughs> yes, he's singing an odd little ditty. Oh, this is the one that, Let me get there. I, I feel like this is based on, it's the clayo. it's the Ao, the thing that makes you think, like, this is based off of something.
1: Mm-hmm. If I were a stone, I'd lie alone amid the earth and clayo. To some good beast, he picked me up and threw me far away. Like, the, that chaos. Yeah, it's very. It's one that's really easy to make up, mm-hmm. to Lolly too, diddle-um, rinky-doo, skittle-dum. There's bread and cheese inside her, said the hedgehog maid who sat to supper. But now tis all inside mm-hmm. her. She... And he's just this funny little hare dressed in Jester's mm-hmm. attire. Half green, half yellow. Mm-hmm. She steps into the
0: firelight and sits down near him.
1: He acknowledges her with a wink and continues the song. Now my grandpa, he was by far, a dreadful fat old liar. It's cold in the river tonight, he said, as he sat upon the fire. Till my old grandma came along and hit him with the ladle. There's another egg been cracked, she laughed, as she set him on the (laughs) table. Doodle-oo-lolly-tum, tiddly-oodly-iddly-um. I loved a rabbit's daughter and she fed me on pots of tea made out of boiling water.
0: (laughs) He's a regular March hare, speaking in twisting play on words and doubling back upon what he said. Storm handles it pretty well and manages to guide the conversation somewhat. He's going to Redwall too, has a haralina as an instrument, and is quite smitten with Han Rosie, (coughs) which I'm 80% sure this is a bullshit pun Brian is playing on us, because Google is showing me... Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, there's a
0: variety of string instruments, but none consistently, and I'd hazard it as a variant of a harp or a dulcimer, but he's strumming the strings and not quite striking them, so it's probably not like a pure dulcimer or a harp either way.
1: Um, Hold on.
0: Are you Googling? Hold on, yeah. While you do that, we finally learn his name, Tarquin L. Woodsorrel, a.k.a. Tarkers, a.k.a. Jolly Old Tark. He begs to know if Han Rosemary has mentioned him, and Storm fibs out of pity. Oh yes, she'd gone on and on about how handsome and good at singing he was. Very pleased, he agrees to to take her. Storm gives her name and curls up to sleep. It takes her a bit because he's busy writing up terrible love ballads about Rosie.
1: <laughs> I cannot find what instrument this would be. I thought there was like something like the name for like small guitars, but that. No, it,
0: I think it is probably just a playoff of a harp or a dulcimer, and the haralina is just his own like invention slash name. Yeah, like, I mean, you've got stuff like hurdy gurdies out there, so why not a haralina? Also, yes, the chapter art for this next chapter is like, oh!
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. funny. Oh, and yeah, so Tarkin L. Woodsorrel, a.k.a. Tarkers, a.k.a. Jolly Old Tark, fun fact of the day for all of you. Woodsorrel is a white clover lookalike with little yellow flowers and it's completely edible the same as white clover. You have probably mistaken Woodsorrel for clover. Mm Because it looks almost exactly the same. It's just uh, where clover uh, leaves are uh, smooth around the edge and much more rounded. Wood sorrels have a weird, uh, like, edge to them. Mm -hmm. And they're less, like, round in that way. And they're edible. You can just munch. Even I am edible.
0: But that children is called cannibalism and is generally frowned upon in most societies. (laughs) God, that movie was bad, but that line just sticks in my head.
1: Listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout inspired audio drama.